At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I have been doing this series on the anointing and speaking to us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I have not finished that series by any means. Uh, I will continue to, to deal with that and I will pick it up on the first Sunday in January. We'll continue down that road about the seven spirits of God. But this is the third Sunday in December and next Sunday will actually be Christmas Day. So we are certainly in the very heart of the season of Advent. So I want to step out of that series for just a couple of Sundays and I want to talk particularly about Jesus. And today I want to talk about Jesus and I'm going to talk about him in the sense or the idea celebrating Christ. Celebrating Christ. I want you to look with me for a minute in the New Testament records in the gospel as recorded by St. John chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 5 and then verse 14. In the gospel of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and then verse 14. The word of God reads like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Go down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. One of the perennial problems of the church today seems to be that the church has lost her sensitivity to the significance and the centrality of Christ. It appears that the church does not have clarity on who Jesus is and what he has done for us in our salvation experience. And if this be true, then the dilemma that we have is that we would be incapable of carrying out the mission that God has entrusted to us. Leonard Sweet says that we are called as Christians to be a Jesus manifesto. That is, that we are called to be a spiritual walking billboard for Christ that we are to be a spiritual reference point for God. After all, was it not the resurrected Christ who said to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. We call it the Great Commission. <clears throat> Again, was it not the resurrected Christ who said to the early church, Go tarry in Jerusalem. And after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Those persons who first dared to follow Jesus, those persons who were first committed to Christ, they were not known as Christians. No, they were called people of the way. There was a certain way of life that they lived. So they were called people of the way. It was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. They were people of the way. We are told later on in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians at Antioch. And the reason they were called Christians at Antioch is because of how they lived, their character, their conduct, their conversation, so reminded people of the one that was called the Christ that they said, why don't we just call them Christians? As the people of God, again, Leonard Sweet says that we are called to be a Jesus manifesto. We ought to have such clarity about Jesus, about Christ, that it would cause us to fall on our knees and give him undying devotion. Not out of duty, not out of obligation, and not out of fear, but because our hearts have caught a glimpse of the greatest person to ever come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. We are called to be a Jesus manifesto. But if we're going to actually be what we are called to be, then there is a question that we've got to answer, and it is the question that is given to every generation. You'll find this question in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. You start reading about, about verse 13. It represents a watershed in the life of Jesus. What do you mean, Pastor? Before Matthew chapter 16, Jesus spends a lot of time with the multitude. But after Matthew 16, he no longer spends the majority of his time with the multitude. He spends his time with the disciples. And he does so because he wants to make sure that they are clear about what their future responsibility is going to be when he will have ascended back to glory. So Jesus says to them, by way of question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? In other words, Jesus says, what 
are they saying about me at the barber shop? What's the word on me in the beauty salon? What's the word about me on the streets? Then he raises the question a second time and he says to the disciples, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? In other words, the second time Jesus raises the question, he says, I'm not really concerned about what they think about me in the world, but I am concerned about what you think about me in the church. Who do you understand me to be? It is then that Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father which is in heaven. When it comes to God, there's some things about God that God has to help you to understand. The world won't teach you that. And so today, we are in the very heart of the season of Advent. We are in that season that we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's called the holidays. It's called Christmas time. But it is very possible, beloved, that in the midst of Christmas, you can miss Christ. Ooh, I just said something that in the midst of Christmas, you can miss Christ. And so we need to focus, as it were, on who is Jesus Christ? Who's, who's the baby in the manger? Who is this God who left the precincts of glory and came through 42 generations and came into time. Um, when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the four books of the Bible to speak to us about the life and ministry of Jesus. Mark, in his Gospel, says nothing about the birth of Jesus. You open Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, he hits the ground running with the ministry and the miracles of Christ. Matthew and Luke, they deal with the birth of Christ. They are the ones who give us birth narratives. Matthew and Luke, they're the ones who speak to us about the journey of Joseph and Mary. They're the ones who talk to us about the town of Bethlehem, a baby born in a manger outdoors in the backyard. They tell us about angels visiting Joseph and Mary. They talk to us about wise men coming from the east. They speak to us about uh, shepherds on the hillside. They give us narratives about the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem. But John, in his gospel, he does not approach the incarnation in terms of giving us a story about Jesus birth in Bethlehem, but rather John deals with this in a kind of theological, philosophical presentation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was 
in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. John has caught the sweep and the awe of the history of salvation and he presents it to us, Joe, in hymnic form. Um, if we are going to understand the incarnation of Christ as John presents it to us, then we must, we must plunge deep into the mystery of the source so that we can have clarity on the identity and the vocation of the word. Everyone just shout the word. In the beginning was the word. In beginning was the word. John goes farther and deeper behind creation existence. And he speaks of a new creation wherein God has brought about a new spiritual dispensation in salvation history. And he asked the question, when does the story of Jesus begin? In the beginning was the word. John speaks of the word as uncreated word. So whatever we're going to understand about created existence can only be understood in light of the uncreated word. In the beginning was the word. The word has always been because the word was the word when nothing else was. And the word was with God and the word was God. That verse could literally be translated and the word was towards God. Or we could say and the word was face to face with God in his presence. 
God has made himself known to us as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. And just like God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, Jesus, the eternal Word, Jesus, the eternal Logos, Jesus is co-eternal, co-equal, and co-existent with God. Which means that he's God. So that when we talk about Jesus Christ, we need to understand him in terms of his Christology. Everyone just shout Christology. When we use the term Christology, we're talking about an understanding of Jesus. So we can say high Christology. High Christology is to acknowledge the divinity of Christ. That, that means he was more than a good man. He was more than a prophet. He was more than a great teacher. Who, who, who is Jesus, Pastor? He was God manifested in the flesh. Fully God. But then we can talk about Christology as low Christology. Low Christology is to acknowledge the humanity of Christ. This is to say that he walked the dusty streets of Palestine fully man. He, he was not God one day and then man the next day. He was both God and man every day at the same time. He was all of the divinity that you could put in dust. So human that he got weary and worn, but so divine that he could say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now this messes some folk up. And that's why you have people today who want to deny and say Jesus could not have been God because of his manifestation in human form. But Christology acknowledges Jesus both in terms of his divinity and his humanity. Co-eternal, co-equal, and co-existent with God as Father and Holy Spirit. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. The world in which we live is not a world that exists by accident or happenstance. 
It is not a world that has come into existence by an evolutionary process. There's no Big Bang theory that made the world be what the world is. No, the world exists because of a sovereign God who in his own mind spoke the world into existence. God said, let there be and everything that was not became he speaks the world into existence. The same God who spoke the world into existence is the same God who created you and I. He took the dust of the ground, formed man, breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All things were made by him or made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. God breathed his breath into man. And it was the breath of God that gave man life and light. It is the Ruach the wind, the breath of God that separates you from a dog. The breath of God, the light of God is what gives humanity consciousness, reason, will, a longing for light and to worship the one who caused us to be. That's why the great church father Augustine says that thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our souls are restless until we find our rest in thee. The man, the woman this morning who is unsaved, who has never professed hope in Christ, has a restlessness in their life, in their spirit that they struggle with because they have not opened themselves up to the one who calls them to be. And while they're trying to get it satisfied with everyone else and everything else, they will live their days in turmoil because you can't be what you were created to be absent of God. We long to worship him, even when we won't acknowledge him. He gives us life. Jesus says, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The Greek word for life, there's the word zoe. It's a God-qualified life. There's another word for life, bowels, Dr. Dow and, and uh, uh, Angela 
uh, um, Smith will tell you more about bios. That's the physicality of your being. But there's more to you, beloved, than flesh and blood. There's a life that God wants you to live. It's a, quali a God-qualified life. And that's what God gives us in Christ. He gives us real life. But not only does he give us life, but he gives us light. He gives us light. Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll walk in light and not in darkness. And the problem of light is light is always revealing darkness. That's the problem with light. Light is always showing the demonic for who he is. Light is always disturbing the kingdom of darkness because it causes people to see sin for what it is. It ain't just a mistake. Sin and transgression and wickedness and rebellion and pride and arrogance. The light will show you for who you are. The devil is a liar. Jesus says he's the father of lies. He's a trickster. He's, a, he's, he's, he's slanderous. He's, he's deceitful. Yeah. He's sagacious. He's always trying to get you to believe something that's a falsehood. Make you believe something's going to be that never will be. Because his aim is to deceive, discourage, to defeat, and ultimately to destroy your life. And what Jesus does is he keeps pulling the sheet off of him. And he keeps showing up because light won't stay still. Light is always penetrating. And the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness couldn't stop the light. Because when light comes, there are no negotiations. When light comes, darkness has to flee. And that is a keen reminder to us that we can always overcome in the midst of darkness because the Bible says greater is he who's within us than he who is within the world. The Bible says that uh, if God be for you, who can be against you? The Bible says that uh, we are conquerors and more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Walk in the light, the beautiful light. Somewhere the dewdrops of mercy shine bright, shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. I wish I could talk to somebody who could testify 
that God gave me life. I haven't always been alive. Oh, I've been existing for a long time, but I haven't always been alive. Cause rats and roaches exist. But I'm better than a rat. And I'm better than a roach. And I came alive when I met Jesus. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lie down, thy weary one, thy head upon my breast. One day I came to Jesus just as I was. Weary, wounded, and sad. But I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I, I just wish I could talk to somebody who could say, Pastor, he, he, he made me alive. This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. I'm, I'm alive. and it, it ain't the car I drive, I'm alive. It ain't the clothes I wear, I'm alive. It ain't the house I live in, I'm alive. It ain't the degrees I got behind my name, I'm alive. And I'm alive because I've got somebody who lives in me. I've got somebody who laid his hands on me. Met me where I was, but he wouldn't leave me where he found me. Picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground. I may not look different from you on the outside, but I'm changed on the inside. There's a power surging in me because he made me alive. The Bible says I am wonderfully and fearfully made. That's why I ain't got no low self-esteem. That's why I ain't got no insecurities. That's why I don't feel no need to try to impress you. Because God said I'm all right because he made me. He made me. And if you ever come to grips with who made you, you'll quit finding it necessary to try to impress people. They didn't have nothing about your past, they ain't got nothing about your today, and they ain't got nothing to say about your tomorrow. But God made you. It doesn't matter the complexion of your skin. It doesn't matter the texture of your hair. It doesn't matter how big or skinny you are, short or tall, black or white, Hispanic, Asian, Jew, Gentile, male or female. God made you. Ain't nobody else giving you value, giving you integrity, giving you self-worth. You were born with that. You ought to have a sense of somebodyness. I am somebody. And I'm somebody because God is. God is, so I am. It's his isness that grounds my amness. Mm. 
Not only did he give me life, he gave me light. I ain't in the dark no more. The devil ain't gonna keep yanking my chain. I'm not stumbling in the dark. I'm walking in the light. And because I know him, I've learned how to pray. I've learned how to ask God, order my steps in your word. Lead me, guide me every day. <coughs> and I'm a, I'm a witness that he's a keeper. That he'll take care of you. He'll guide you. Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding and all of thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Am I the only one in the room that knows about having a spiritual compass? Guide me over thy great Jehovah pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Yeah, he'll guide you if you let him. Now, what I just did is I, I gave you an exegetical presentation of the text. Exegetical meaning, I broke it down. It means I got behind the text to help you understand both biblically and theologically what the text is saying. If you'll give me seven minutes, I want to now help us to raise the question then, if this is what the text is saying, what are the applications of the text to our lives? Just give me seven minutes and I'm going to be through. I want to tell you three things that you ought to take what this text means. I just told you what it means. That Jesus is the eternal word, the eternal logos. He's the reason that you exist and the world exists. He's, he's fully God and he was fully man. Now here are the applications. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The first thing that you ought to walk away with is the greatness of Christ. That, that here is Jesus all the God that you could have ever beheld in flesh. The greatness of Christ. Paul, when he writes to the church at Philippi, he puts it like this. He says, let this mind be in you. There was also in Christ Jesus who, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That is, he thought it not too presumptuous to be equal with God, but he humbled himself and emptied himself. It is the great doctrine of the kenosis that Jesus emptied himself and yet when he did so, he did not lose one drop of his divinity. 
but he empties himself and takes on the form of a man. And becoming fully man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Jesus Christ, fully God, condescends and leaves the precincts of glory, comes down into a world marred by sin, leaves the company of angels, comes into the precinct of sinners. That's the greatness of Christ. It is his humility. It is his willingness to condescend. He who was rich became poor that we might become rich in him. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And if Jesus is willing to so humble himself, what does that say about me? Oh, beloved, what kind of Christian would you and I be if we would just get off of self? If we could just set aside our egos, set aside our arrogance, if we could just quit being so haughty, if we could take the spotlight off of ourselves and be like Jesus and humble ourselves, if we could have the attitude of a servant and quit trying to be a star. Yeah. What, how much more powerful, effective would the church of the living God be today if church people had the mindset of Christ? Yeah. Application number two. Ah. All things were made through him and without him Nothing was made that was made. Application number two is when you consider that God is the source of everything that exists, that you exist only because of him, then you ought to live with an attitude that God is more than able to take care of me. Yeah, that's, that's what God says to us in the season of Advent. And not only during the season of Advent, he says it to you all year long. I got your back. I'm the source of your supply. I'm Jehovah Jireh, I'm your provider. All you have needed, my hands have provided. Who am I talking to that knows that God will take care of you? Yeah. Look at somebody and say, what you worrying about? 
Look, somebody else says, what you fretting about? Because after all, you can worry all day. It ain't going to change nothing. <coughs> so rather than worry, why don't you worship? Rather than panicking, why don't you praise him? Well, praise him for what, Pastor? Why don't you praise him for what he's already done? Because whatever needs you have in your life, this ain't the first time you had a need. And if you got trouble, this ain't the first time you've been in trouble. And if you're alive, you're only alive to see the trouble that you're facing today because he brought you out of something in somewhere in the past. And if he made you, that means he's in charge and in control of what he made. So praise him for what he's going to do. We have, we have several members who work for Ford. Have several members in this church who work for Ford. Ford's been around a long time. Henry Ford started the Ford Company years ago with the T-Model Ford. Ford has become one of the automobile conglomerates. It's, it's not just nationally known, but it's one of the most worldwide known car companies and automobile developments in the world. Years ago, Henry Ford had a good friend who was a mechanical genius. And uh, this man, they said he could build a motor in his mind with his eyes closed. And if the motor broke down, he could fix it in his mind with his eyes closed. He was a mechanical genius. And years ago, years, years ago, uh, the assembly line, broke down. Henry Ford, <coughs> the founder of the Ford Automobile Company, called his friend, this mechanical genius, said the semi-line had stopped and broke down. Could you come over and fix it? His friend came over, and in a few hours, <coughs> he had fixed the problem. The assembly line is running. Everything's going about as normal. <coughs> he then sent Henry Ford a bill came in the form of a note and the note said Henry for the work I've done you owe me $10,000 back then this is years ago $10,000 was a lot of money so Henry Ford sent his friend a note back and said don't you think $10,000 is a lot to ask for for a couple of hours of tinkering. <clears throat> His friend sent him a note back and said, Henry, for tinkering, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. I'm about finished, but I want somebody to know that the reason you ought to go to sleep tonight 
I don't care what's going on in your life. It's cause you got a God who knows where to tinker. Yeah, he made you. And he knows where to tinker when your heart is broken. He knows where to tinker when your mind is disturbed. He knows where to tinker when, when your emotions have been discapopulated. He knows where to tinker when you can't go to sleep at night. He knows where to tinker when your marriage is falling apart. He knows where to tinker when your child's acting crazy. He knows where to tinker when you're sick. He knows where to tinker when you ain't sure how you're going to pay your mortgage. He knows where to tinker when the devil's trying to destroy your life. He knows where to tinker when you need an open door. He knows where to tinker when you need a way made out of no way. He knows where to tinker. He knows how to take care of you. Yeah, he knows how to take care of you. I got three minutes left. One more thing. Give me three minutes, I'm out. One more thing, and that is this, is that in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the Word that has no beginning, no ending of days. The word that is eternal. The word that always has been and always will be. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled among us. Pitched his tent among us. The application you need to take home with you is that God is so loving. Jeremiah says he has loved us with an everlasting love. Is that he has always, God has always desired to reveal himself to us. So that when he made the covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, with David and Israel, it was his desire to reveal himself to us. When he made himself known as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Roha, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Rofika, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Tiskanu, Jehovah Makadish, Jehovah Rebuth, it was his desire to reveal himself to us. When he showed himself in the tabernacle behind the veil and the glory of God showed up on the, on the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubims, it was his desire to show himself. When, when his glory showed up on Mount Sinai, when Moses got the Ten Commandments, God says, I'm, I, I have a desire to reveal myself to my people when, when Solomon built the temple and they couldn't go in, the Levitical choir, Joe, could not sing and the priest could not serve as the altar because the Shekinah glory, the kabod of God, the weight of God filled the temple. It was the glory of God 
But as wonderful as that was, it could not compare that when the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory. Oh, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well. Oh, the glory. Oh, when he took a boy's lunch and fed 5,000, all oh, the glory. Oh, when he raised Jairus, his daughter, from death, all oh, the glory. When a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years touched the hem of his garment and was made all oh, the glory. When a man was at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, Jesus comes by and says, take up your bed and walk all oh, the glory. When blind Bartimaeus was on the side of the road crying, thou son of David, and he opened his eyes all oh, the glory. When he raised Lazarus from the grave all oh, the glory. When he prayed in a garden called Gethsemane until sweat like drops of blood fell from his brow, all oh, the glory. When he was crucified on a cross on a hill called Calvary and when he said, Father, it is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, all oh, the glory. Sunday morning, when he got up from a borrowed tomb and said, All power in heaven and earth is in my hands. I'm the hero of Calvary. Oh, the glory. And what kind of glory? I'm glad that you asked. I got 60 seconds. It was glory. Filled with grace and truth. Jesus is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I ain't got the 60 seconds, but I need you to give me two more minutes because I can't sit down if I don't help you understand grace. Because when it says full of grace, it means grace heaped on grace grace on top of grace uh, I feel like lifting him up but don't go there today don't go there today just, 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 just leave me alone leave me alone leave me alone okay cause I, I need I, I want to go but I need them to catch this I need them because somebody didn't catch when I said Grace heaped on great grace on top of. Okay, okay, okay. You're gonna get it. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. You're gonna get it. You know what a banana split is, right? You take a banana, split it, then you take vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, strawberry ice cream, and you put it on top of the banana grace on top of grace and then you put chocolate sauce on top of the vanilla ice cream 
and you put strawberry sauce on top of the strawberry ice cream, and you put pineapple shavings on top of the chocolate ice cream. Grace on top of grace. And then you take peanuts, and you sprinkle the peanuts on top of that. Grace on top of grace. And then you take whipped cream, and you put it on top of that. Grace on top of grace. And then you take a cherry, and you put it on top of that. Grace on top of grace. Grace woke me up this morning. Grace started me on my way. That's grace on top of grace. Grace gave me strength of body and mind. That's grace on top of grace. Grace put bread on my table. Grace put water in my cup. Grace put clothes on my back. Grace on top of grace. Grace helped me raise my child. Grace healed me when I was sick. Grace on top of grace. Grace gives me strength when I'm tired. Ooh, ooh, grace. Grace gives me power when I'm weak. Grace gives me joy when I'm sad. Grace gives me peace when I'm in a storm. Grace gives me victory over my enemy. Grace makes a way when it looked like it ain't no way. Grace been walking with me through many dangers, toils and snares. Yes, 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 hallelujah, yes. One of these old days, I'll come to the end of my journey. You know what'll meet me at the Father's house? It'll be grace. Yes, yes. Thank God for his grace. with me he holds my hand he makes a way yes hallelujah yes thank you God thank you for Jesus thank you thank you thank you for Jesus Nobody 
do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. And every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Hallelujah, yes. represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.